I'm Alana and I'm Jesse and we are making benches. Tonight we're talking about dealing with internalized anti-Semitism as the final installment of our anti-Semitism series. I think originally this had been called like processing anti-Semitism and dealing with internalized anti-Semitism but I felt like we had done a lot of talking about processing anti-Semitism and our second session of the series. So that felt a little bit repetitive. So we're focusing on internalized anti-Semitism today. And if you want to listen to us talk about processing anti-Semitism, I would recommend you listen to the second episode of this series. Am I missing anything on that? I think that was a great summary of what has come before. And if you would like a summary of all of the episodes that have come before, sign up for our newsletter. I will be sending out tomorrow. Have a newsletter plug. I guess before we talk specifically about internalized anti-Semitism, I wanted to talk a bit about just what internalized oppression, anti-Semitism is a form of oppression. So when we're talking about internalized anti-Semitism, this is like an internalized form of oppression. Brief overview for folks who don't know is that when we talk about oppression, it's layered into four different layers of oppression. We have ideological oppression, institutional oppression, interpersonal oppression, and then at this smallest size, internalized oppression. And we definitely don't have time to scope the podcast to go over all of those layers of oppression. But basically, when people are oppressed, aka targeted, discriminated against, made to be lesser than in society over time, we can internalize or believe or make part of our self-image, our internal view of ourselves, these myths and misinformation that society communicates about the group that you're part of. And when people from oppressed groups, for the example that we're talking about, for when Jewish people internalize myths and misinformation about Jews in general that society spreads, it can cause them a lot of times unconsciously to feel like unworthy, less capable, less intelligent, less beautiful or good. Just a lot of feelings of shame and negativity in comparison to people who have power or people outside of their group. Highlighting though that just because someone might experience oppression or the impacts of bias, it doesn't necessarily mean that person has internalized oppression. There are plenty of people who are oppressed who do not, I don't want to say suffer from, but I guess experience the impacts of internalized oppression just because everyone is different. And if you grow up in a really insular community, you might not like hear certain things about your cultural group or racial group that can lead to internalized oppression or for whatever number of reasons. And so we don't want to like assume internal oppression because then that can end up being more condescending than empathetic or helpful. And we don't want to like veer towards a victim, a victimizing mindset. And then I just wanted to highlight the two ways that internalized oppression functions. 
It can either come through on an individual basis where as an individual person, you believe the stereotypes and misinformation that you hear about yourself. And this might mean to not do certain things that you want to do or act in certain ways that actually reinforce a stereotype and end up being self-defeating. It can also happen among members of the same cultural group. So this can look like people turning the oppression on one another and because they've internalized these myths or this misinformation about the group that they're a part of they then reflect that back onto their community and so this can look like treating people who are part of your community with less respect undermining them criticizing them mistrusting them not wanting to be a part of that group um and so those are the two, like those are two different ways that it can show up, both like the internal impacts and or programs among more interpersonal interactions. And just ending that on highlighting that internalized depression is never the fault of the person who is impacted by it. So we want to avoid blaming people for those impacts, the impacts of oppression, and begin to work to move forward from that and heal from that, which obviously at the end of the day, the goal is to dismantle white supremacy culture as a whole and colonialism because these are the things that like perpetuate most of the forms of oppression that we engage with in our day-to-day -day lives. So that is a broad overview on internalized oppression. Did that all make sense, Jesse? Yeah, absolutely. I was in my head comparing it to the things we're gonna yeah. talk about, how it shows up for us. And I was like, check. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like oh no so I think that's a really good way to guide us into the discussion like a good framework for yeah. understanding what as I was about. reading it I was thinking so much especially at the when it occurs among members of the same culture group I was thinking so much of Jewish people in the area that we grew up in being super anti-semitic towards the Hasidic Jews that lived where we grew up I literally just typed KJ at the end of my yeah. thing because I was like, yeah. I didn't we even have make to that connection that I was like preparing yeah, for tonight. And as I was saying it out loud, I was like, oh, literally right there. Hello. And I guess that's like an entryway for us if we want to just start there and then go on to the rest of our stuff. Yeah. I guess as a background, understanding that Alana and I grew up in a reformed Jewish community outside of New York City, but relatively close to New York City and New York State, and very close, a lot closer than I did, but very close to a Satmar Hasidic village in upstate New York known as Kyrgios Joel. And that community really, from my understanding, functions yeah. largely independent yeah. from the towns around it in that they have their own ambulance mm -hmm. corps and their own services within the community. And is largely separate from the larger community. However, there's shared spaces like grocery stores and things like that in the community, I think that cross over sometimes. You grew up a lot closer geographically to that community than I did. So do you wanna start with how that impacted your education or just being near it or how you were treated at yeah. school or um, anything? I don't even know how I didn't think that this was gonna come up in this session since it's such a massive part of yeah. And it's interesting to think about the differences of you even growing up like 30 minutes away versus me being 10 minutes away and the difference that makes. Yeah. Hopefully we're not doxing ourselves, but I feel like all this is widely available information on the internet. Yeah. 
<laughs> I can't yeah. hide from the internet. I think it's with my name, but yeah. Um, I'm not doxing you. Sorry. And wow, there's so much to unpack there. I feel like this could almost be an entire episode in of itself, just navigating Curious Joel as a non Hasidic Jew in New York. But I guess from the lens of internalized anti Semitism, starting at least the first first time I can remember as early as middle school people I was naturally facing anti-semitic comments about my nose and my hair and we can go into that more later but people were constantly making comments about the Hasidic Jews and Curious Joel and Curious Joel as a whole there were a lot of tropes around oh they're such bad drivers or what's going on in there and kids talking about like talking about their sexual habits or oh, they have so many kids or rumors about mm. how they have sex and it was a really common rank to drive through curious joelle and yell things out the window or throw stuff out the window because as much as they are insular the people who live in curious joelle shop at woodbury commons which is around the corner from curious joelle and many of us also shopped there or worked there are at the grocery stores other clothes store yeah just any stores in the area alongside us and so it was insular but also we would see people who lived in Australia in our community consistently and I also think the messaging from adults was so really anti-semitic and especially from not especially but also from Jewish adults I think a lot of that is in part to a political and economic lens that they have crafted that I don't really understand, quite frankly. I don't feel like I have enough knowledge on that political or economic background to have much to say on that front. But what I do know is there is a lot of tension between Curious Joel, which is its own town within the village of Monroe. And they've also bought a lot of land and have expanded rapidly, like scary fast. From an ecological perspective, there, and I think this is where it gets super dicey and hard to nail down because it becomes problematic when people are saying things about the Hasidic Jews that live in Curious Joel that are about their Judaism or tied to other anti-Semitic beliefs, which is very easy when they are expanding rapidly and have economic capital and political power that very easily turns into these tropes about Jews having power and money and influence. But this is just a group of people who is cutting down an insane amount of trees and building infrastructure on farmland and really changing the political and economic situation and dynamic of an entire community. I have numerous friends whose houses were bought out completely by Curious Joel. There's been definitely an exodus of sorts of people just moving out because people from Curious Joel were willing to buy their houses for cash and really large sums of money. And that's how the expansion has happened like full neighborhoods that I used to go into growing up around the corner from my house are no longer filled with the people who live there but now is an extension of Curious Joel and so I think it's really complicated and I guess that's why I don't know how to fell down this ramble into something specific I guess at the core of it though because of 
all of the strife that Curious Joel has caused because they're visibly Jewish, that is what Judaism has become associated with where we're from. And so adults grumble about the Jews and Carrie Estrowell and, oh, they're buying all the houses, oh, they're drivers, oh, like this, that, and the other thing. That's passed down to children. And then children are saying the same things. Like in high school, that was like all people ever said. I even had taken that in and being like oh I need to distance myself as far from that as possible so I also have to be like yeah that's not like I'm Jewish but not like those Jews that's not me and there were a lot of people who were like oh I didn't even realize that like you could be Jewish and not be like that basically thinking like that is the only type of Judaism that exists so it was also hard to delineate there are layers to Judaism and yeah, I don't even really know how to contend with the complexity of what is Curious Joelle today, but definitely has contributed to a large percentage of my internalized anti-Semitism, both in the way that I think about other Jewish people and the way that I think about myself, and has also largely contributed to a lot of the anti-Semitism that I experience like, directed towards me because of what other people perceived. And I'll stop there. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's so helpful to know. And so some of it crosses over and some of it doesn't because when I was going to high school and all my secular schooling was so removed from Kiras Joel that we weren't directly impacted by that as a larger community. My larger community was Christian dominant for sure. The large church in town that everybody went to was still teaching when I graduated that the Jews killed Christ. <laughs> what and, church? You know, would make this big display. <laughs> I'll tell you later because now I'm gonna get like in trouble. There's a lot we could reflect on in terms of the very Christianness of my education in the sense that like baccalaureate, I don't know if you had that for around graduation time, a very like religious ceremony. And there's just a lot of weird shit that looking back, I'm like, what? why was there a priest coming to talk to us after someone committed suicide in school? Like it was just weird. So all of that is a backdrop. Um, I think the anti-Semitism associated with Kiras Joel only came when mm -hmm. I would literally drive into Monroe with my family. And I think a lot of the messaging I got was from Jewish adults because I didn't have as much from, like now if I went back to my hometown, I'd probably hear more about it, but it wasn't as much of a spread thing back then. And I think what I saw subconsciously, of course, I didn't know this at the time, was that there was a lot of resentment of Kiras Joel because quote unquote, mm, like they okay. don't consider us real Jews. And so therefore it yeah. almost justified the anti-Semitic things that reformed Jews were saying at our temple because it was okay because they wouldn't see us as real Jews at all. So it's okay for us to criticize them. And almost this pity or this disgust with like you're saying the economic conditions, the amount of children they were having, the way they were raising children, the treatment of women in their communities. It was considered this like backwards, dirty, not our type of Judaism Jewish place that it was okay to make fun of, at least in reformed Jewish circles. And I think adults probably now would be horrified to know that was the impression they gave us because they would not want to be associated with that type of bigotry, but it absolutely was in the water that we were swimming in metaphorically at Temple. I think that tells us a lot about other Jews internalized anti-Semitism and how that shaped ours in relation to Curious Joel. Honestly, I almost even think you're giving people too much credit because like, 
I actually don't even think that people would be horrified at what they've said and how it's made us perceive. Like, no, I've had to have these conversations before with Jews who were adults when I was a child who have said a lot of these things and continue to say a lot of these things and been like, hey, at the end of the day, like, maybe we don't have to talk about their Judaism. We can talk about some of the other issues that are coming up. Sure, but that doesn't have to be associated with their Judaism or think about the way that even talking about them as a group, like a them, <laughs> contributes to like the anti-Semitism. And also at the end of the day, regardless of who considers who a Jew, not to say the age old yeah. line, but we're all fucked in the end anyway, because it's not about who yeah. Jews can who what Jews consider other Jews Jewish. It's about who the Christian hegemony thinks is Jewish. And I don't know, whenever I've tried to bring that to light, it's been a lot of like, I don't care, like, they're not like us, they they won't accept us, and they're doing so much to destroy this, this community. And so it doesn't matter to me. And I stand by what I said. And yeah, I mean, I think that's why it's beyond the scope even of this conversation about internalized anti-Semitism, because I think it goes so much deeper. could be interesting to have a whole Curious Joel series for our 845ers and beyond. I mean, I think that's a massive contributor to so many forms of anti-Semitism at all of the layers of oppression for people who grow up in that clump of towns that are close to Curious Joel. Definitely for a different episode, <laughs> more to talk about. Yeah. I wanted to highlight for us what is and is not internalized anti-Semitism, because we're talking a lot about what is internalized anti-Semitism. But I think something that's super common as Jews who identify as anti-Zionists is to be called like self-hating Jews or to have people suggest that we have internalized anti-Semitism and that's why we're anti-Zionist. And that being anti-Zionist is not anti-semitism as we say almost every episode somehow and in the same way that it's not anti-semitism <laughs> anti-zionism anti is not internalized anti-semitism if anything and i'll speak for myself but i'm sure jesse would agree my anti-zionism has brought me far closer to my judaism than i ever imagined i would be before i embarked on my journey towards anti-zionism but this idea isn't new um, and, and is fairly common for anti-Zionists. This idea and these, the term self-hating Jew or Jewish self-hatred like actually came about when Theodore Herzl used this term anti-Semite of Jewish origin in his project of Zionism, basically, in order to further Zionism. These terms were intentionally used to make people who were Jewish who were against Zionism seem anti-Semitic or less than or self-hating. And so, again, this has been around for decades, and it's not new, but what we want to start doing is, like, pointing out that it's untrue and purposeful yeah i had never known that's where the term yeah. self-hating jew came from makes 
a lot of sense in an attempt to shame people into one political viewpoint. Because there is a real history of people who are Jewish becoming anti-Semites. Like that is a real thing that has happened. And one person I was just looking up was William Potter Gale, who had Jewish ancestry, but his father had rejected it and then became like a virulent anti-Semite who was very much into white terrorism and white domestic activity in the United States that targeted and harassed not just Jews, but minorities of all types. So I don't know the terminology that we should use for that because it's almost not even a self-hating thing. It's a, I don't know, you're much more into the psychology of things and sociology of things that I have words for. But I think it is important to acknowledge that people who have come from Jews can end up anti-Semites or can hate being Jewish so much and not want to be Jewish and out of a place of hatred convert to Christianity. But it doesn't mean that every Jew that converts to Christianity or every Jew that no longer practices Judaism and becomes of a different religion or viewpoint are anti-Semitic. So I think it's just a really nuanced area where odds are most Jews that you meet are not self-hating Jews. So I don't think you have to worry about it. Like, it would be very rare to find somebody who was raised Jewish and is now spouting Nazi yeah. propaganda. And like, it's just not going to be the scenario. So we really don't need to be using the term, I think. And I think the way that it has been used is by right-wing Jews to shame Jews not who are critical right-wing of Jews. Israel. And so <laughs> literally anyone who's not an anti-Zionist <laughs> yeah, Jew again, I'm is giving calling anti-Zionist Jews self-hating Jews. Yeah. So it's become this like dog whistle word, I think, that is not really what some people think it means it has nothing to do with like jews becoming nazis which is another weird thing that some people are obsessed with so i think we could talk more about like assimilation and we could talk about how our insecurity as jews leads us to make some unsavory political connections that we think is going to secure our safety but i think we've talked a lot about that already i do think and this might we might disagree on this but I feel that is still internalized anti-Semitism. It's just a much more extreme version of that. And I think in a lot of ways that can be passed down as generational trauma, which we talked about last session. But like that is the extreme result of internalizing centuries of oppression is turning so far against your own cultural group that you have literal outright disdain or hatred for them. And that's not to say that all internalized oppression looks like that, which I think is what we were getting at. Like not everyone who experiences internalized oppression is great. I want to kill everyone in my cultural group. A lot of the time it's way more just feelings of insecurity and shame, but there are a lot of really extreme examples where at the core that is coming down to the impacts of oppression and that points to how insidious and harmful oppression is especially oppression that is just built upon over centuries and centuries and i think about internalized oppression for other communities and i think about someone like candace owens or even kanye west who promote like white lives matter or are actively super racist towards other black people and as much as that's not everyone's experience of internalized racism, that still, I think, is a really extreme result of that internalized racism. So I'll say that. 
And I do also think that for a lot of people, that is coming from a place of self-preservation a lot of the time. And that doesn't make it necessarily yeah. right, but I think it's something to acknowledge. And I think yeah. I'll stick to talking about anti-Semitism because that's what we're talking about and that is our experience. But going back centuries and centuries, there is so much historical evidence of Jews having to literally pretend they were not Jewish, hide their Judaism in order to avoid death. <laughs> yeah, at, it, at its most extreme death, at its less extreme just harm, physical or otherwise. Even beyond the Holocaust, but we can think of examples in the Holocaust of people like trying to prove that they're not Jewish or faking Christianity to escape death and concentration camp, like the Spanish Inquisition. But basically when Judaism was not chill in Spain and Jews were not allowed to practice. So again, Jews were either forced into conversion or converted but practiced secretly because if they were practicing outwardly, they would be killed. And those are two examples, but this has happened throughout history, like literally for centuries. And so I think a lot of times that internalized anti-Semitism can come from centuries of being like, it is not safe for me to be Jewish and this is what I've had to turn to or my family was Jewish four generations ago but we converted and this is the messages that I've heard from everyone around me and thinking about how to fit into mainstream society or to fit in I guess in the extreme versions that we're talking about not fit in but to evade harm like having to espouse anti-semitic rhetoric out of fear for your own safety or your family's safety and while I think that there are nuances than that not all of that is internalized anti-semitism but i think a lot of that is what breeds internalized anti-semitism and leads us to where we are so thinking about some of the ways that we see it show up in the world but then what is that coming from i just wanted to flag some of that before we absolutely and i think what we're getting to in the next part too will be how it shows up generationally i think that's really well set up how you said it might not be that all of our parents even experienced a specific type of internalized anti-Semitism, but the way it shows up in their generation or in our grandparents' generation from being passed down without all the explanation that we did this for safety or we did this for this reason, then it becomes a very different thing, which I think is really interesting how it shows up. So yeah, thank you for explaining all that. We wanted to end on talking about how internalized anti-Semitism shows up for us. And I guess this is like outside of the context of Curious Joelle, because I, like we said in the beginning, I think that's the background of a lot of our experiences. I think when I was thinking about this, the first things that came up for me were like physical, like thinking about my physical appearance and growing up feeling super insecure of my nose and my hair and just that I presented as very stereotypically Jewish or what the media saw as Jewish. Again, Ashkenazivity, hello. And we don't really have to get into the ways that my brain was socialized to dislike those things before someone even told me, oh, you have a Jew nose or you have Jew hair. But then hearing that again, reinforced by my peers at a really young age, I feel like the first time I can think back to that, I was in middle school and before I even turned 13, like, people had said to me like 
I don't know, made comments about me having a big nose, having a Jewish nose, or having Jewish hair. Oh, you have Jew curls. And okay, not a huge deal. I love my hair now. I don't give a fuck about my nose now. It's actually not particularly large. And I'm versed enough to know that neither one of those things are actually reflective of Judaism. However, I had internalized that rhetoric and I was like, okay, those features on me are ugly. And those parts of myself are ugly. And so I had to go through a lot of years of unlearning. I think it was helpful that society started to really lean into curly hair. And I was like, okay, cool. Where was this when I was like 13 and hating my curls? Um, and now everyone loves curls. Nothing wants curls. So ha 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 to all of you. But yeah, I mean, it is just so reflective of societal norms influencing how we feel about our bodies, even on more broad level so that's where i'll start for myself yeah but i want to give some more space for you similarly i don't present as ashkenazi stereotype i think as you do and i do at the same time experience a lot of insecurity around my nose i think for me a lot of what has shaped my internalized anti-semitism has been a lack of mm-hmm. an extended jewish family in some ways and having a lot of non-Jewish family members and being uncomfortable talking about or sharing my Judaism with them because it was weird. And it was definitely supported at school and with babysitters or with family friends or anybody who wasn't Jewish. It was just weird. And don't make a big deal out of it. Don't talk about it. Just be as normal as possible, which of course in my little kid brain was just normal. But now as a grown up, I can see with Christian dominant society and just play along with it. Just make the Christmas mm-hmm. tree in the project at school. Don't ask about it. Don't get upset about it. And don't draw attention to your Judaism, which could go into a million other like issues that I have as a human being. But I think specifically really reinforced the idea that Judaism was something that was shameful and weird. And as a part of my identity, something I should hide away. So I think, as we've said, that can be different because of the community I grew up in or just the family structure I grew up in. But it was definitely like somewhat physical and my my appearance. I think it was more who I was on the inside. It's like I could almost play normal or just pretend that I wasn't this other thing and that on Saturday mornings I could do whatever. Maybe I could skip temple to be normal. But it was always like something I should try to avoid doing in front of other people yeah that's really interesting like the layer of having extended family that's not jewish and i think that is a whole different conversation as well about the way that jewish converts and like interfaith what's the word i'm looking for families are viewed in jewish Jewish spaces I don't I can't speak to other religious spaces if this shows up as much but I I'm gonna speculate on what it is and I feel like a lot of it has to do with a this weird Jewish thing that I don't actually think is grounded in truth but about they're only really Jewish if like your mother's side is Jewish and it being matrilineal and I can't remember if we've talked about that before and the other part I think is this real fear and insecurity around not continuing Jewish family and tradition and life 
And I think a lot of that stems from Holocaust trauma. I'm not even Holocaust trauma because there are so many traumas pre-Holocaust that were trying to extinguish Jews. So just general. And so it creates this really weird, aggressive, in-group energy where people are constantly talking about families. I mean, this has changed a bit over time as it's become a little more normalized, but like constantly talking about families that one parent is a convert and interfaith families are like not even converted but oh the dad is jewish but the mom is christian they're raising their son they're raising their kids with both and i feel like i heard that constantly at temple people and there's a lot of gossiping and it's like such typical like people would always be gossiping about that and yeah i'm just thinking about how even that is a completely different experience than my own even that small difference creates this vastly different experience in self-jewish perception so thank you for sharing that i'm happy to and i think but part of it is not growing up with jewish grandparents really because just family dynamics and deaths and family but also not growing up with proud jewish role models outside of my family I think mm -hmm. other than temple which is like when you're getting those mixed messages right is like these are people who like us but also we're not Jewish enough for or like us but then talk behind our back which I just like this is a whole separate thing we can go on but like gossip I am not <laughs> anti-gossip and like I think we should talk about how gossip has probably sustained the Love Jewish gossip. people through centuries but totally different podcast mm -hmm. totally different Something to in the um, and I <laughs> yeah yeah I was I'd love to just I am very much into gossip separately though the way on my dad's side of the family it was passed down that we don't talk about mm. what we left behind in Europe we don't do that we're mm. American now and we do American things and my dad being the one who was like wait but I want this Jewish stuff can I be mm. Jewish and I think that, that shows up in weird ways because it shows up in some things that get passed down from his great grandparents that he doesn't know he's replicating, but other things he's trying to break and change in his traditions. And I, so I think it's just really interesting when we're talking about what we're even not aware of in our own experiences that we're like, oh yeah, because I'm Jewish, mm -hmm. this happens, is so different for so many different people. And I think that's something unique about the Jewish experience is that we all have these assumptions based on our Jewish upbringing or background that might not be anywhere else, which is why I think it's so interesting to talk about where anti-Semitism shows up in our internalization because it might be really different than someone else's. That's what I was just thinking when we were comparing notes <laughs> on our anti-Semitic <laughs> thoughts. No, seriously, I didn't even think about that, and I do think that in a lot of ways I have a very different experience because I grew up with two sets of very Jewish grandparents and. Both my parents were actually raised conservative Jewish Jews. They only became reformed Jews when they moved to where we live now and had me because they really liked the rabbi at our temple. Shout out Rabbi Loeb. I definitely think a lot of that shame or insecurity in a family setting wasn't coming up for me, which I'm sure made a world of difference down the line. And I had the note that I definitely distanced myself from my Judaism in school, like around my peers, but not with my family. I don't have the experience doing it so close to home, which again, just between the two of us who have 
so many overlapping experiences in their Judaism. So drastically different still. I both had this weird, perverse, not perverse, say it, but I wanted to talk about it because I did love my Judaism and also no one else was Jewish. And at the same time, I'm like not wanting to talk about it too much or not pushing back when people said certain things because I was like, I'm not going to say that I was anti-Semitic because then they're just going to be like, oh, like this Jewish person telling me that I'm anti-Semitic. So sensitive. So I definitely just listened to people say crazy things and had to be like, okay, definitely got a lot of weird oven jokes and around Hitler's birthday. People are always super weird. Coins on the bus and that's like where are y'all getting this who is teaching you this and then you're going and replicating it but because I didn't want that attention Mm -hmm. drawn to myself I was just okay that sucks but I guess that'll be trauma for my future self to deal with which I think we could have a whole conversation (laughs) around like that for me I think is a lot of why I latched to Israel and Zionism so strongly is because I was like this feels almost a safe way for me to be very opinionated and outwardly Jewish because it was associated with Judaism for me without actually being Jewish outwardly and calling people out for their anti-Semitism, which again, I think is why distancing myself from that belief and becoming anti-Zionist has allowed me to really come into Judaism for myself and share it with people proudly and excitedly. I don't think a lot of that is location-based. I think if I still lived upstate and not really sure how much of that would be happening but yeah yeah that distancing that yeah the coins on the bus thing is so visceral for me because of a real trash human being that I dated who found out I was Jewish and I tried to downplay it and he would throw pennies at me sometimes and we'd laugh because I was a teenager trying to make sense of it but then that enabled him to one time when we were driving in the car throw pennies out the window at a bus of Satmar Hasidim because he knew that it was okay with me because I had enabled that once before. And I think those types of memories really stick with me because shout out to upstate New York for being (laughs) an absolute racist, anti-Semitic black hole that nobody pays attention to Mm because they think that it's New York. So it's got to be like really safe and chill for Jews. Um, It's not. (laughs) And I think that has totally shaped my understanding of oh if I let people get away with it now then they'll only weaponize it against other people that are like Mm. me or not like me and don't have the tools and resources to defend themselves which could go into a bunch of other oppressions I feel that way about but I think as an adult now I'm able to see how clearly that silence and that complicity enabled people to harm others and that is just something to live with so yeah distancing from Judaism and distancing from my own protests against anti-Semitism because I just thought it would be easier that way. That's almost like a mirroring experience. Like, I can only imagine this was happening all the time. Yeah. And yeah, definitely highlighting that New York, I feel so, because of New York City, is highlighted as a bastion of safety for Jews. And sure, in the city, like the city, right, but we're not talking about the city. And if you go so much as half an hour outside the city, it is so different. New York would be, without New York City, New York would be a red state. Like, New York would be completely conservative. Almost every single county outside of New York City, besides, like, Albany and maybe one or two other areas with some major cities, are 
Republican, like vote Republican every election. There's just such a massive population in New York City that it doesn't matter. But I was having a conversation with someone a few weeks ago who grew up in upstate New York. I don't know, super upstate, like five, six, seven hours from the city. And they were like, yeah, I grew up and I had literally never met a Jewish person until I went to college. This is a person who lives in New York. So this idea that people in New York are somehow like, oh yeah, Judaism and New York go together. That is so not true. Even to like an hour, not even an hour, like an hour or so outside of where we live, Pine Bush, they're like quite literally Nazis. And anti-Semitism in Pine Bush is even more terrifying than what we experienced. So yeah, um, push back against anti-Semitism when you see it, because if you're not doing that, it's going to keep happening and it's going to show up in even more harmful and scary ways. Yeah. Bleak. <laughs> Note. Only you <laughs> stop anti-Semitism amongst your friend group. But yeah, that is the bleak reality that I don't think it does anyone any good to not acknowledge. I think maybe the upside of that is when we think about healing being surrounded by other radical Jews and being able to create my own Jewish tradition, which I literally feel like I say this every podcast, but has made me really be able to come to terms with a lot of the ways that I had internalized anti-Semitism. And I really feel like as much as people will more likely tell me now that I have internalized anti-Semitism because I'm anti-Zionist, like I have so much less internalized anti-Semitism right now than I did five years ago. Definitely 10 years ago. Yeah, 100% want to echo that too, because knowing that there are different ways to be Jewish and accepting that there are radical, non-reformed, traditional, whatever, conservative, none of these strains, but like creating your own traditions from bits and pieces of all these things, knowing that is valid and real and other people are doing it and I can do it my own way was brought me so much much closer to Judaism brought me so much more pride in Jewish identity so that is the upside of all of this is that there there was a way to create a strong Jewish mm-hmm. community I just didn't see it at the time as a kid and without spaces like making benches I wouldn't and have look at us it. we didn't so even know that's back just in the day that we would be here <laughs> who would have thought <laughs> no, no we didn't so what is the thing of what's the quote that if you don't see the book that you want to read on the shelf write it if that's what we're doing if we don't see the community you want to join you gotta make it so out there this has been a way longer episode than i anticipated um i hope y'all enjoy however much of it you listen to as Jesse flagged in the beginning, sign up for our newsletter. The link is in our bio or on our website, and you get a whole bunch of good stuff in there. And Jesse makes them really cute, so you're going to want to do it. Shout out to Nate for our podcast music. And I hope that everyone has a happy secular new year and look forward to some fun new episodes coming in 2023. I think we'll probably be on a hiatus for at least two weeks or so because we got some planning to do but yeah future topic jewish so, gossip as fine. preservation something to think about thanks, thanks everyone thanks jesse <laughs> bye